everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Man, it's been quite the week with the Equifax breach, and I've got a lot of things I need to update you on from last week. Um, some things have happened since then, and I've learned some more since then, and I want to make sure I pass that along to you. So we're going to start off with our usual news of the week, and it's pretty much going to be consumed by Equifax stuff. And then our interview of the week is Albert Stepanian, who is a machine learning and artificial intelligence researcher. And uh, we have a very interesting discussion about what all this means. If uh, AI and ML, as they're often uh, referred to, have been all over the news lately and, and all the new products coming out, including the smartphones and Internet of Things devices and smart speakers and all these things that are quote unquote smart. All the, the smart behind a lot of these things is AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, these are big buzzwords. And uh, this whole technology is really starting to take off. And so it's kind of important that we understand what these things are and what they aren't. Uh, we've seen a lot of things in movies, for example, about what these things are. And uh, so we go through and kind of debunk a lot of that. And we kind of get to the bottom of what, what these things really are and, and, and how this is really going to affect us. So a uh, very interesting interview. Stay tuned for that. And finally, at the end of the show, I'll have my usual tip of the week. And it will also be related to the Equifax thing. So let's get into the Equifax thing yet again. So if you missed last week's show or if you've been under a rock, uh, and haven't watched the news for a week or so, um, Equifax, who is one of the large three U.S. credit bureaus, uh, these are the people that track your credit history, and when asked by proper, supposedly proper um, uh, companies like banks trying to issue credit cards or give you loans, or sometimes now it's even employers looking to check your background before they hire you, things like that, they get your credit report. Uh, and these, uh, Equifax is one of the three bureaus in charge of uh, keeping that information. Uh, you didn't ask to do it. I, I'd, I'd love to see the law that allowed them to do this. It's not like you're a customer. Um, you're the product. <laughs> and uh, and they are selling you as a product without uh, any recompense from you. And honestly, they would rather have nothing to do with you, apparently. <laughs> but uh, Equifax was breached. And they are saying that uh, they're still saying that 1.4, uh, 143 million people in the United States um, were affected which is like 44% of the U.S. population, uh, huge. So, uh, and if you rule, if you take out the number of people in the U.S. that don't have credit reports, like kids, um, then it's probably well over half the United States citizens, which is just, just awful. So anyway, uh, tune back into last week's episode if you want to get a little more information on that. I don't want to go through all that again here. Uh, what I would like to um, catch you up on is some things that I've learned in last week since then. So since uh, this information that is really um, significant personal information, the kind of stuff that identity thieves just love to have um, that allows them to open credit in your names and take over bank accounts and do all sorts of really nasty stuff that can mess you up for a long time. Um, it's a, this is a, a big deal, a really big deal. You absolutely have to pay attention to this and you need to take some action. Um, now Equifax had a little website where you could go and you could enter the last six digits of your social security number. Uh, and I think maybe your birthday or maybe it was just your last name. Um, and you enter that information and would come back with this little mystic short message saying you were affected or you, or you weren't affected. Now, uh, while that's, you know, good in theory, uh, I've actually heard reports of people putting random numbers in there and random names and it coming back with an answer as opposed to, I don't know who you are. Now that could be a security feature to keep people from phishing you know, just entering a bunch of data and trying to find some info. But uh, honestly, their response to this has been really flaky. And I'm not honestly at this point sure I would trust the output of that. But more to the point, it's gotten so bad and, and hacking is becoming so much more prevalent and identity theft is such a big deal. 
that um, my personal recommendation, if you're if you're an adult with established credit and you know, you're not out there constantly opening new credit cards or getting new loans or refinancing, um, these are the kind of things where your credit report uh, is accessed by new companies, not existing companies, not the credit cards you already have, not the loans you already have, the mortgages, all those things. Because those even if you freeze your credit, those people can still access your account, your existing creditors. Uh, but if you're out there getting a lot of new credit, uh, this might not be a solution for you. But if if that's not the case, if you're not out there getting new credit, then I honestly, I just recommend to everybody at this point that you just go ahead and freeze your credit. There's there's very little downside. Like I said, basically, the only downside is if you freeze your credit, if you need to get new credit for some reason, if you need to refinance uh, your mortgage with a new company, if you want to get a new credit card from a new company, um, uh, then you would have to thaw your credit long enough for them to get your credit report and then refreeze it. And that can cost, I don't know, 10 bucks and some time. Um, but it, uh, at this point, it's just gotten so bad out there that I'm just, uh, my recommendation, honestly, for everybody for this, uh, uh, is to just freeze your credit. Um, so what that means is that, uh, there were, it blocks any new creditor from accessing your credit report. Um, and it only right now, they all apparently are doing it for free, which is great. So I've already done this myself and for my wife, um, and we've done this at Experian, and TransUnion. Those are the other two besides Equifax. And I've been trying all week to freeze my credit with Equifax and it keeps failing. They're probably slammed and they're honestly just, they're just not responding to this well. So I'm going to have to keep trying because I definitely want to freeze my credit with them as well. Um, but uh, I haven't been able to successfully do that yet. So you would have to, you have to call each one individually. Um, there is an automated phone process and there's web web forms uh, to do this. You, you don't have to talk to a human. Um, and if you look at the show notes, uh, from last week, or if you look uh, for, or this week, uh, I've got links there that'll help you find those uh, phone numbers and those links for you to, to do that. So I highly, I highly recommend that. Now, if you can't do a credit freeze, if you just, if, if you're the kind of person that is getting a lot of new credit, or maybe, maybe you're a young person, uh, younger people, especially, uh, like my daughters that are, you know, kind of getting ready to go to college, uh, tend to be opening lots of new credit and, uh, establishing their credit. So, uh, freeze might be a little painful for you. Um, in that case, if, if, if you don't think you've been affected or, uh, if you can't do a freeze cause it's just too much effort. And uh, again, I, I recommend that <laughs> for as bad as identity, identity theft is, I would probably take a lot of pain before I would give up on that option. But if you just can't, or if you want to do something quick and simple, you can also do what's called a fraud alert. And I talked about that last week as well. And that's easier in a lot of ways. It's free always. Um, you only have to call one of the three credit bureaus to do it, uh, and they will contact the other two on your behalf. Um, and what a, what a fraud alert does is it supposedly makes it harder for people to get new credit, uh, without doing some extra background checks. Uh, what that would probably mean is they would just email you or call you, uh, to say, Hey, is this really you? Are you trying to open a new credit card? Okay, cool. We'll let that go. Um, to try to prevent people from doing stuff in your name without more verification. Unfortunately, it's actually not required. Um, so it's, it's in, in that sense, it doesn't have a lot of teeth, but the way it's supposed to work. And I would hope that the way the companies are working this now, the credit bureaus are working this now with, with the Equifax breach is that they are going to do a lot more due diligence, uh, with a fraud alert. Uh, one of the downsides is it only lasts 90 days. You can, however, renew it as often as you'd like. If you actually have been uh, a victim of identity theft and you have an identity theft report, which is something that you have to file with the uh, federal trade commission, the FTC in the United States, if you have one of those reports, uh, you can get a, um, a fraud alert placed for seven years. 
Um, but otherwise, you can do it every ninety. You can just do it every ninety days and renew it if you'd like. So that's that. That's kind of the weaker option. Uh, so at a bare minimum, you should be doing that, uh, which I talked about last week. Now, one of the things that came up with some friends of mine um, and some people I talked to in the last week that was a very good question is, what about my kids? Um, so your kids probably don't have a credit report. It depends on how old they are, and it depends on if they've kind of interacted with you on other on other accounts. So if, like, I've got two teenage daughters, and I've actually got bank accounts set aside for them, so they actually have accounts in their name. Um, now, I'm the primary owner of those accounts, but they are, like, users of those accounts, and they can access certain parts of it. Uh, I haven't actually checked yet with my own daughters, but uh, from things that I've read, those are the kind of things that might get them uh, a credit report started at one of the credit bureaus. So the easiest way to find out is just to go check with the credit bureaus with for your, on your daughter or on your kids' behalfs uh, with their social security numbers and find out if they've got credit reports going. If they do, you know, I would at least put the fraud alert on theirs as well. Um, Credit freeze again with young people is kind of tough. If they're if they're minors and they're not having their own credit cards, then it's fine. Go ahead and freeze it. Um, when they start getting to college age, um, that's when they're starting to build their credit. They will certainly have an account. And if they're close to college age, then you know they're going to have to probably thaw it out before they go to college. Uh, because as kids, your credit report is actually used for a lot of things besides getting credit. Um, it's become this this big dossier on you that people use to evaluate you for all sorts of reasons. Um, credit cards and loans are just one of those things. Um, they're also used oftentimes for utility service. So when you're signing up for utility services, uh, they will check your credit to make sure that you're in good standing. And, you know, sometimes if you've got a kind of bad credit, sometimes they might have to implement special things where you pay at a time or special payment arrangements or special interest options. Uh, when you're buying a car, when you're uh, signing up for cell phone service, uh, even job applicants, uh, oftentimes companies now will try to pull your credit report. Uh, big companies will pull your credit report when they're hiring you. Why? I don't know. Does your credit score really tell you how you're, if you're going to be a good employee? I don't know, but they're, they're doing it that the information's there. And I guess they're saying it's worth it. So there are lots of things your credit report is used for besides that. So, uh, younger kids, college age kids are going to be hitting that a lot more and, uh, uh, freezing and thawing all the time might be a pain in the butt, but, uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. So the other thing I wanted to talk about is credit monitoring. Now Equifax and what happens a lot of times where these breaches occur, if you might, you know, if you're a victim of the target breach or the home Depot breach, uh, some of those ones that happened in the last year or two. Uh, a lot of times when these breaches happen as part of their penance, their mea culpa, they say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for credit monitoring for you for a year for free. Um, these are services that the credit bureaus offer. And so they'll pick one of them and they'll say, well, we'll pay for that for a year for free. Okay, that's great. It's definitely better than nothing. It's nice to have. Um, personally, uh, I think we should all get that for free anyway. Um, that should just be standard. But for now, it's something you have to pay for. It's a service they provide. Uh, and it's free uh, in these cases if you're a victim. So, you know, it's better than nothing. Equifax is off offering that now if you can get through to them um, uh, and set that up. But there's there's often strings attached. And at the end of that year, they're going to hard sell you to keep it going. In fact, it may be one of those kind of things where you sign up for free now, but you've got to give them a credit card so that at the end of that year, they will, you know, auto renew for you as a favor. <laughs> right. To, uh, to keep you going on that service. And if you forget about it or whatever, then, you know, they're, they're going to make money on you next year. So uh, as an alternative to that, uh, you know, if you can get into the free service, okay, just set yourself a calendar reminder next year to turn it, you know, to, to not renew. Um, but you can monitor your credit yourself uh, as well. And there's a couple things you could do there. So there's a really nice free service called Credit Karma. And I think it's creditkarma.com. Um, 
and they make their money by uh, referrals. So, you know, they, they have all your credit information. Uh, you get some really interesting detailed analysis of your credit and ways to help you improve your credit. And they can tell you what parts of your credit history are hurting your credit. Um, and they can do some what if scenarios like, you know, what if I paid off this credit card? What if I paid off this loan? What if I had uh, paid off, paid down some of my debt, all those kind of things to help you improve your credit rating. It's a really nice service. Um, and, and then they make their money by looking at your credit and saying, okay, given your credit, we recommend these credit cards uh, or things like that. They have offers like that, that they'll make to you. And then, of course, they make money if you click through uh, to get those credit cards. And that's how they make the money. So it's, you know, in the past, I've talked about, you know, beware of companies that make, um, that, that are free because they got to make their money somewhere. Well, in this case, it's, it is clear how they're making their money. They're making it off of you, but not directly off of you. Uh, and I've been using Credit Karma for years, and I've been very happy with that. So you could use a service like Credit Karma for free uh, to check out where your credit is now and keep an eye on your credit. The other thing I would recommend is uh, getting your credit reports, but I'm going to save that little bit of wisdom for the tip of the week. So we'll talk about that after the interview. And speaking of the interview, let's talk with Albert Stepanian about machine learning and artificial intelligence. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. We invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com to get all the latest. Make it a daily stop and also get the app. You go right to the App Store and download our free app, and that will put all our content right into your hands on your phones and your tablets. It doesn't get any easier than that. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. All right, as promised, I'm here with uh, Albert Stepanian. He's an AI evangelist, a startup advisor, and an entrepreneur. Welcome. Hey, kid. And I, I will just say, just for the beginning, you're in the middle of Mexico City, and there's a lot, there's a lot of background noise there. So we'll try to just ignore that as much as we can, uh, and hopefully it won't be too bad for the audience. So before we go too much further, I think we really need to define some of these terms, because I know that when you start talking about um, AI or artificial intelligence or machine learning, uh, these while these terms are being thrown about all, the, all over the place today, because it's in use every place today, it, I don't think anybody has a real understanding of what those things mean. So... Let's let's start off with just the basic explanation. What is AI? How is it different than machine learning? What what are these things? Uh, yeah, sure. So basically, AI is not a new uh, area in, in the computer science. It's coming kind of like starting from the Alan Turing. So when he started to define whether the machine is lying or not, and it was like even after the World War Two, yeah, when because as you know, Alan Turing is one of the creators of the AI movement in the world, and he was the guy who could 
deciphered the Enigma code and fighting against uh, Nazi Germany. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, how it all started so he decided that like maybe we can start teaching the machine not just calculate the numbers but also start thinking like a human he himself didn't believe that a, a machine can uh, kind of uh, start thinking about the human because people have different motivation you have emotions you have hatred you have love you have different kind of uh, feelings which like uh, create your inside world in your brain yeah and he decided uh, to prove people that machine can't think like uh, like people and there was a um, there's a famous test which is called Alan Turing test where the machine is trying to fake a human behavior and it's trying to persuade you that it's a human yeah and lately this test is going like uh, the technology is moving forward and um, more and more um, areas in the AI field are using this Alan Turing test and it's it's becoming better and better yeah even in chess even in uh, human psychology in a human cognitive system these are all the terms that may be a bit more uh, take it for the audience, but like um, I'll, I'll explain them step, uh, one by one. Yeah, what, what do they mean? And AI is a movement when we try to mimic how the human brain works. And um, if you if we go farther, the human brain has different um, ways as it could work. Yeah, and now the different companies like Microsoft, Google, Facebook, um, our, um, Elon Musk's AI company, they're trying to develop several movements. Yeah, so like for example, deep learning the neural networks, the natural language processing, and so on and so forth. So these are all the movements that um, now are trying to establish the whole um, AI industry. And different entrepreneurs and different startups in the whole world, they are trying also to develop separate branches, uh, the same as uh, me and my company. And overall, the whole effort of defining uh, several branches in the AI technology can at the end of the day, bring to something uh, more or less like AI, like uh, common artificial intelligence, which is trying to mimic the human brain. But it's it's a it's a very complex moment, and uh, till now you can't uh, for sure understand how the human brain works. So uh, and the best uh, effort to kind of get to the end result is to understand like first of all how human brain works, how we understand, how we analyze the data, yeah, and then just like recreate the AI. So. I think a lot of people think of AI and they think of the way it's classically been portrayed in movies. And, and so I want to debunk a few of those things off the top because I know that, you know, there's so many examples from from modern pop culture and, and Terminator and Skynet or Robocop or maybe more modern ones might be like uh, Westworld or uh, Ultron and the Avengers. Of course, the classic one is HAL 9000 from 2001, you know, data from Star Trek, all these sorts of things. So uh, how it, how far off are those depiction of AI and machine learning from what from what's real? Um, we're still very far away from the doomsday. And uh, there's a term called technical singularity. And uh, we personally, like because I'm a scientist myself, and I think technical singularity is possible, but that's only uh, possible if we develop the AI in the way that we can't control it, or we can't teach it to uh, value the human values to value emotions and the feelings and how our society works. But we are still really far away from the doomsday because uh, that can come only in the case, in case the machine starts analyzing itself and it understands that the human mind or human um, mentality is imperfect and tries to uh, kind of fix the world, <laughs> make it yeah. better than it is in its own way. But still we're very far away because we're still developing like really separate uh, 
branches of AI, uh, very industry-specific, like, for example, uh, uh, artificial intelligence in marketing, artificial intelligence in self-driving cars, artificial intelligence in the face detection, sound detection, and uh, yeah, and there are many areas that are being developed. But if you want to have self um kind of analyzing AI, which will then start analyzing its creators, the humans were still far away from it. It's, yeah. it's uh, I can't foresee it in the next 20 years at all. And still many people that now develop the AI, including Elon Musk, they start have started thinking about that we need to regulate what we develop and how we develop. Yeah, um, because at the end of the day, it's our creation and it's like our kid. And the kids usually, uh, if they don't um, get under the control of the society or the outside world, they usually behave the way how the parents uh, bring them up. So the same with AA. Right. Yeah, so you said a lot of things there. So I wanted to back up a couple. So we talked about Alan Turing, and of course, um, if you've seen, what was it, The Imitation Game, fantastic movie. Um, I highly recommend you, uh, the audience, check that one out if they haven't seen it already. But uh, you're right, they had the, uh, he was the basis for what we call the Turing test. And, and my understanding of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is basically it's like a common scenario might be you're on the other end of an instant messaging chat with some something. something and, and you say something, it responds, you say something, it responds. And for some amount of time, uh, you need to figure out, am I talking to a human or am I talking to a, a bot? Or am I talking to some sort of an AI, some sort of a, a system? Is that, about, is that about correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. So uh, we also had, you know, some of the older things we had, uh, one of the classic ones, of course, in real life, it was the IBM Deep Blue, which beat uh, Kasparov back in 1996 uh, at chess, which was, a, you know, that was a big milestone in terms of AI. But like, like you're saying, these were very, these are very application specific, very focused types of AI. I think when we look at movies and things, we, it's kind of like this general AI that can do anything a human can do, where at least currently the technology is such and, and because of Moore's law, um, with the doubling of processing power every 18 months or so, um, you know, we've gotten like, I think I used to, I said, uh, at one point in my book that like I, my iPhone six S has 10 times more power in terms of flops, mega flops over what the deep blue machine was to be Kasparov. So we've, we've kind of hit this knee, I think, right. So where technology has gotten so strong and it's getting so that's it's getting so much more powerful so much faster that we can do all these things on smartphones now instead of room-sized computers. Agreeing, that's, that's something like it's inevitable because the processing power is uh, something that, like, you know, uh, the industry, same as companies like mine, are producing the technology and producing the software, which has a demand. So it means that uh, the companies that produce the processors or supercomputers, they are feeling the demand on the market. So there is a need for ev evolution of the software and all the hardware. And we are in the middle of the next industrial revolution. So it's inevitable that the processing power will grow. But it's not only about processing power. Processing power is processing the unstructured information across the world. Another question is who provides that information? It's like, and I, the audience can be surprised, but we every day, by, with our activities, we feed the industry-specific AI with a lot of information that it has to process and build predictive models around it. So every time you put out everything in Instagram or you check, tag someone in the Facebook or there's um, a software called Amazon Turks where people, uh, for money, of course, they is teaching. They are teaching the Amazon AI on differentiating the real-time object in the real life. Yeah. So I sometimes I'm surprised myself being a, an AI fan and like also doing a lot of stuff to evolve the AI. But I'm also super cautious on putting out everything in Instagram. Yeah. But I see a lot of young people doing it. Or my age, they are like uh, putting online 
every single moment of their life. And by this, they are teaching the AI machine by the Facebook, like with everything. Yeah. So uh, image recognition uh, algorithm of the Facebook is one of the strongest one because like people are putting online every single moment of their lives. And that's something uh, people have to understand, first of all, that uh, somewhere in the background, this is this all information is being structured and some kind of AI system is learning on top of it. So uh, we have to differentiate whether it's like software or hardware producers are bringing to the moment that AI becomes serious and becomes super smart, or people themselves are putting so much information online that it's inevitable that it learns, yeah? because that's, that's information is accessible to the vendor companies. Right, exactly. And, and uh, one of the one more creepy ones I heard about recently was Facebook uh, trying to determine your mood based on uh, not just only uh, the words you're typing and how you're typing, the types of articles you're linking to, but actually if you've got access to a camera, looking at your face and trying to read the trying to read the expressions on your face. So we'll, we'll get into some more of those kind of creepier examples here in a minute, but I want to, I want to back up a little bit and make sure we've explained the technology a little bit better. Um, so help us understand how AI and machine learning works. Cause I think that's, I think that will help people to understand what this really is and what it isn't for, for example, it, it's kind of break it down into the most simple training scenario, like inputs, outputs, and feedback in kind of layman's terms. What does it mean to train an AI system? What do you? How does that work? And what are the limitations of this naturally? Okay, cool. So um, I'm going to bring you a real life example of the projects now we are creating and working on. So it's a violence detection system using uh, AI, and uh, I myself live in Germany most of the time, but I'm um, kind of trying to disrupt uh, social markets on the emerging uh, in the emerging countries, countries in Latin America, countries in Asia or Eastern Europe, and one of the projects that I'm working on with my team is uh, we try to um, improve the detection of CCTV cam cameras in the areas that are under hard surveillance. Yeah. So let's say it's storages, it's uh, protected areas, it's a defense uh, military installations in the police installations or it's prison systems. Yeah. So how it works like uh, we try to understand the, we record the whole day movement. Let's say it's a storage Yeah. in the storage you see uh, people working there, taking things from one place to another place. You see a cars bringing uh, valuable things to the storage or the couriers taking out the things out of the storage and delivering to the customers. And what we do, we record this data from five to six cameras every day and feeding it to the uh, machine, which is called, and this is called the machine learning. So uh, the computer can identify the usual movements and we teach him, yeah, okay, if you see, the people are not shouting, they're just like usually working from nine to six. They are dressed not very colorfully. They don't have anything specific like guns, knives, and something else. If you don't see a change in the noise, in the noise in the storage, means that that's a normal life and it's everyday activity. Another thing we try to do, we try. To, it's like teaching kids. Yeah. Sometimes we try to uh, mimic the violence ourselves. So we take toy guns, paint it in a black and suddenly start doing uh, crazy moments. Yeah, shouting, uh, imit uh, Im imitating the violence, trying to uh, jeopardize the uh, everyday activity, uh, showing the knife to the cameras and so on and so forth, start teaching the machine that, okay, you see that it's an unusual behavior. Yeah, You see unusual objects, which are not as big as everyday. People are not carrying them. People are not happy. People are not smiling. You see uh, screaming people. It means that that's violence. Yeah, And the more information you feed the machine, 
the more uh, it understands, it starts differentiating things between violence and non-violence, and then it can delegate to co-police, co-respond teams, and so on and so forth. So at the end of the day, machine learning is just like a smart way to make machine understand uh, a difference between one activity and another activity. Same for image detection. So you show background images, and then you show people on top, and then you tell them, okay, if you see a garden in the behind, and then you see a picture which is similar to a man, a person, or a human, then you detect that it's a human. So at the end of the day, it's just like a lot of information and a lot of teaching activity to the machine. And the more information grows, the more you evolve the way uh, you teach it, uh, then it becomes slowly artificial intelligence. Interesting. All right. So yeah, so basically, it's a, it's the, the bigger the data set, the better the, the you want to feed it a whole bunch of data and then kind of point, help it understand what the anomalies are and what the differences are. So it, and eventually it, it, it learns from that. So let's exactly <laughs> let's talk a little bit about some of the good and the bad here. Let's start with the good. They're, they're, uh, we're kind of painting a picture that in some sometimes you get the idea this is the end of the world or, you know, we're Skynet and all the all the really nasty things. But there's some there are some very good things that we've been doing with AI. And some of the examples I kind of wrote down here um that maybe we could discuss like autonomous vehicles. Uh, that's obviously a huge thing coming where, you know, if we get our, if we get our cars to drive for us, they're going to tend to be a lot safer than humans. It'll probably save a whole lot of lives that way, not to mention fuel and all those sorts of things. Uh, gaming entertainment, obviously it's a huge thing for gaming entertainment is trying to come up with more intelligent villains that you're fighting against when you're when you're playing your games and home automation. Um, you know, Siri, Alexa, Cortana, all these kind of things are, are kind of AI based systems. One of the things I've heard recently is really cool is better medical diagnoses there. I guess there are apparently certain types of medical conditions or maybe reading x-rays or things like that, where AI and machine learning does a better job than humans do. Um, fraud detection for your credit card, things like that. What are some other, or maybe you could expound on those or if you know any other examples, what are some positive things that we're doing with AI? What are some things that are really uh, as consumers, as, um, as um, people in a democracy that we're going to really like to have with AI? Okay, you mentioned a lot of areas of what we're missing here, like uh, first if it's um, a defense in the defense area, yeah, because uh, it, it has its good and bad, bad, bad parts because um, you know it like it's not in the countries like US or Germany or in the Western world, but in the emerging markets, especially the criminal world is very advanced. And, and uh, people are becoming victims of the criminal activity on an everyday basis. And you don't have so much trained law enforcement officers that can protect you the same way as you, were, you would be in USA or Germany. So and AI is one of the crucial parts here to disrupt this stuff. So by using uh, smart AI systems, which are using camera noise detection, voice detection, uh, delegation to the response teams, and uh, differentiating and even predicting the activities of terrorists or or uh, criminal parts of the society, this can really improve the lives. The bad part about it, what I see it every day, and <laughs> within having tests also within our system, that sometimes there are false positives. So you can have a really non, um, a person who has nothing to do with the crime activity be detected by, by AI system that he has committed a bank robbery. Right. And this way you basically ruin the whole life of a person. And right. Like the movie like Minority you, Report, right? Yes, exactly. And this is this is actually um, this is very actual, and uh, that's um, 
problem that we're uh, trying to solve now, but it's actually in most of the face detection or let's say activity detection systems all around the world, doesn't matter who is the vendor behind it. So, so this is a problem of false positives that none of the bigger companies could solve until now. So it all depends on the data. And uh, if you happen to have two people with the same face all around the world, and if one of them made something bad, the second one is in trouble definitely. So there's no way you can differentiate it. That's the bad part. So you can have false positives there. What about, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that, that drives me crazy from a privacy perspective is all the really annoying and intrusive, well, web tracking. I guess you could argue it's not intrusive because most people don't realize it's going on or don't care, apparently. I'm not sure which. Uh, maybe it's a mix of both. But, you know, obviously companies like Google and Facebook and the, and, and the companies that are doing a lot of advertising and targeted advertising and are collecting massive amounts of data on you are going to want to take this data uh, and run algorithms across this data to do even better uh, tracking and better targeting of their ads. Um, you know, it, is this just a double-edged sword? It's just one of those things where you got to take the good with the bad? Well, actually, uh, you're right. That's one of the most advanced uh, technologies that AI is being used for. So because for companies like Facebook or Google, the advertising is the uh, biggest revenue source because all other the products are not so profitable uh, as uh, ads and for companies like Facebook it's even the one and only source of revenue so they spent like imagine how much money they spent on improved these tracking algorithms on AI that can target uh, the right agents at the right time like uh, I've been playing with um, AI algorithms of the Facebook and uh, it's it's gone so crazy that they can even like understand uh, the um, kind of a correlation between the videos you watch of the Facebook, the people that you follow, like their interests and so on and so forth. So they basically can make you buy anything at any time if they want. <laughs> so because they can like understand how your psychology, if you of course are putting it online. Online, yeah. So that's that's one of the things that that's why I'm trying to keep in Facebook uh, only the stuff which is connected to my company and it, which is also advertising yeah. because I myself understand like how media can affect uh, people's psychology. But like the AI is so advanced there that you can basically uh, uh, divide the video and any video that you uh, watch into frames, understand what you like in the frames, like where you did the pause, where you did the rewind to watch the video again, why did you do it, like uh, put to algorithm to analyze it, maybe you like the girl in the video or the boy in the video. So basically uh, you can understand anything. Well, and just on that point, once we start, because almost everything, all your computers today have cameras built to them, both your, your cell phones, your tablets, your, even your computers, uh, you often have cameras there. And if, if you're not, I mean, if, if, Google, if Facebook and Google can watch what you're doing while you're watching these videos, they can literally see where you're looking. Like if you, like you said, you know, you like the girl, you like the boy, that's because you're, you, they can tell that your eyes are drawn to that part of the video. I mean, it's really that creepy, right? Uh, yeah, to tell the truth, uh, I'm myself an AI evangelist and I know the good and the bad parts. It's all about ethical and moral. So it depends how much we afford ourselves to go through and what line we afford ourselves to cross. In case um, we create the software uh, for a good result and we, and we don't cross this ethical or moral line, then everything is good. The AI will only disrupt our lives and will make it better. But if it gets to the hands of you, but the same as a nuclear weapon, yeah, the same any new advancement, then we're in trouble. So <laughs> we have to treat AI the same as a nuclear age. So it's a completely new revolution. It can be used for good, it can be used for bad as a weapon. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That, that What really makes me nervous now is that I think it's kind of sneaking up on us. Unlike, 
a nuclear bomb where we can, you know, we can see we can see the mushroom cloud and we can, you know, awe, in awe and say, oh, my goodness, that's got to we got to be careful with that stuff. All this stuff that's happening in the background is supposed to be done for our benefit to, to, to give us better ads, to give us a better experience. But that same data that's being collected and aggregated um, is, you know, it's data, it's digital, it can live forever, it can be copied seamlessly anywhere. If, if someone, even if the company like Google or Facebook is being completely ethical about how they um, hold that data, look at all the data that's been, um, you know, taken via breaches. Um, so if that data gets out, it's gone. I mean, if, if somebody knows what I look like, what my, my, my face patterns, my voice patterns, my iris patterns, my fingerprints, the way I walk, if that gets taken by somebody else, that's gone forever. I mean, that's out, that's out in the world. I can't, there's nothing I can do about that. Uh, sure. That's why in Europe, like you have a new law about regulation about the data privacy starting uh, coming in power from May 2018, and it's very strict. And in case one of the corporates like uh, doesn't follow the rule, uh, they have to pay up to three percent of the annual revenue, which is huge amounts of money in case of big corporations. And Europe is already thinking towards that direction that they have to regulate as much as possible. First, it's about data privacy, so you can first. Of for uh, export all your data from any application uh, from 2018. So let's say Facebook wants to operate in Germany and they follow the GDPR. So they will provide you an opportunity to export all your data, everything that they track about you. So everything that they know about you in one second, and then you can basically restrict them to track it. Track it. And that will be huge amounts of money spent on redefining the software, which is already created. But that's and that's the good part about the regulations. The second one, we need to second one have some kind of ethical commissions which will understand what we want to track, how we want to track, and how we want to use it. And uh, what I like about Elon Musk, he already started thinking about this stuff, and he personally having huge corporation and any regulation, of course, is going against the revenue of the corporation. He even himself defined defined that we need to be very smart, yeah, what we regulate and maybe put a bit more regulations on AI technologies and uh, give more space to the SMEs, not only large corporates. One of the classic ones I love it because I'm kind of a sci-fi fantasy, you know, that was always my genre growing up. I love the Isaac Asimov books. And uh, you were talking about, you know, making sure we approach this ethically and, and making sure that we, I guess, try to program into some of these systems some sort of uh, some sort of safeguards. And one of the classic ones with uh, Asimov was his three laws of robotics. I'm just going to read them real quickly here because I thought they were just fascinating. Uh, the first law is that a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a hum human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given it to by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So obviously Isaac Asimov uh, thought about these things, and I thought those were kind of an interesting way to to, to summarize what we'd ideally like to program into these, into these robots or AI devices that might become self-aware. Um, in the real world, is there anything, is there any real hope of, of being able to, because it's just software, right? And you can always change software, you can hack software. So is there any real way, how, how do we protect ourselves from AI going rogue? And before we answer that little cliffhanger question, we're going to take a little bit of a station break, and then we'll be right back to finish our fascinating interview with Albert Stepanian. We're a new breed of talk radio with a new breed of host and shows to entertain and inform you. It's America Out Loud Talk Radio. Shows that impact your health, honor our heroes, political talk. Shows that inspire you to live a truly authentic life. 
You can hear your favorite shows on networks like iHeartRadio or AHA Radio, or just download our free apps on both Android and Apple. But we are proud to have you as one of our growing family of listeners. We are the vision of the voices, AmericaOutloud.com. How do we protect ourselves from AI going rogue? Well, actually, uh, you are reading my mind here because I've been lately giving a speech about like this ethical part and how to teach machines to be more human. And I treat it like uh, I myself, like I'm working on a book and I treat it like computers like kids. And what uh, I believe is like in the beginning, now we're in the beginning of the stage where the kids are like until five years old and they're still trying to absorb the whole huge amounts of information that's happening. They are curious about everything, so they can process a lot of power and data, uh, but they don't understand what to do with it, yeah? And they're just digesting it and trying to learn like a kid steps, like talking, reading, and this is about natural language processing, this is about face detection, image detection, sound detection, and so on and so forth. So, um, and on this stage, we have to start teaching the machine uh, what is good and what is bad, yeah? Like we show what is a violence and what is a non-violence to the machine that we create. We need to teach AI, like showing human emotions, the love, feelings, the family, the kids are playing in the forest or in the gardens, like the happy moments in life, the, like how the grand, grand, grandmother is kissing the, his children or the children of her children, so on and so forth. So this is the good. And you teach a lot of information and you show a lot of good moments to the people to the machine the same part we have to show the ugly parts yeah the war the killings the homicides femicides and so on discrimination the uh, racism and so on and so forth and like from the early stage teach the machine what is good and what is bad the next stage is the most uh, dangerous stage like uh, i'm quoting in my book because it's that the teenage stage yeah where the <laughs> Our kids are trying to oppose ourselves and think that we're stupid because we're putting a lot of <laughs> on them. And that's the most dangerous stage where AI can really bring harm to people. But on that stage still, it has to have some values inside of it brought up by the human being. Like, because on the stage when they'll try to oppose the creators, human beings, they'll have still values uh, programmed into them, yeah? And they'll have a lot of information that will stop them. And the next stage is the best stage if we get there, yeah? If we program them right. So that's the adult stage where we start appreciating our, our parents and understand all the difficulties that they took to bring us up, yeah? Because the life is difficult and they had to work like two or three jobs, bring us up, give us education and so, on and so forth. And that's the best part where the AI will start work hand by hand with its creators, with human beings. So I think from now on, we, we need to start teaching the machines with first, um, that loss with that Isaac Asimov has created is like they actually make sense. So we can start teaching something like that. And there are companies already that do that. And second one, of course, the machine should understand that for people uh, that live on the planet of Earth, the human emotions are one of the most important uh, uh, features. Yeah. Like most of the decisions that we make is 70% based on our emotions. And uh, they have to understand us to value uh, our everyday life and value why we are important to be on this planet. And uh, if we get there, so I think we'll face no issues. But if we only bring up kids as uh, cold computing machines, then we are in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound like you're basically optimistic on that. And honestly, I am too. I know we've been focused on some of the, some of the, the more negative aspects or potentially negative access aspects. But like I was saying before, there are so many ways where the AI and the, and the machine learning uh, is really going to be a, a huge benefit for people. Um, again, like I said, auto, uh, autonomous cars are going to be a fantastic um, 
when they get here because they're so much they're gonna be so much so much better drivers than humans are um and there will be job loss i mean there's there that's going to be a, a paradigm shift and you know a, there are certain jobs and, and some of them are white collar jobs where for very for professional jobs where we're going to find out that uh ai and machine learning i'm a software engineer i'm waiting for the day when computers can write their own software and i'm out of a job it, it will happen someday um but hopefully what that means is it frees me to be you know whatever i want to be in some utopia where <laughs> no one has to work anymore i you know i don't know we'll see what happens but um it's just it's absolutely fascinating and i wanted to thank you for coming on talk us about that today um a couple a couple things i want to talk about before we go and some of the other interesting things that are coming up with uh this that i can't let, let cybersecurity go um where does AI fall into that? Is AI going to uh, help the attackers or the defenders more, do you think? Uh, yeah, well, it depends how we use it. So uh, it can help both the attackers and the defenders, but it's all coming about who spends more money. So as we know, the attackers, it depends. If there's a corporate spionage, yeah, and the corporate is trying to attack the corporate, basically they have both resources. <laughs> to. So it depends how much money they invest into the... Uh, technology that is going to be used to uh, hack the system. So for now, many companies like in big insurance companies are working on uh, automatic underwriting of the cyber attack and so on and so forth. And uh, I, I know many states are also working. So it's, it all depends how much money you put on the scale and how much talent you have behind you, yeah? how much access. To, so it's, it's a no-brainer. So who spends more money and who has the best talent will, will create a better system or the better virus or the better protection against it. I know, and I know you've worked with a company called SciSure uh, about cyber insurance. Explain to me what cyber insurance, cyber insurance is. What does it really mean? So cyber insurance is a new uh, insurance package that biggest insurance companies like Allianz Group in Germany or Munich Re or U.S. companies are trying to provide. And that's a typical case when the Sony was hacked by, some people say, by North Koreans. So let's say there was a loss of several billions of dollars, yeah, and uh, cyber insurance is covering that package. So they, they are paying some huge amounts of money to the insurance companies in order, in case of attack, so they can, can cover that loss. But nobody can cover or assess the reputation loss, yeah, or the financial loss through vendors or third-party uh, contracts that they have signed. So SciShow is a product that's trying to estimate the reputation loss, the financial loss from the third-party vendors, and also to come up with a better package for the companies. So if you give it like the decision to the insurance companies, of course, they want to cover a smaller amount of money, but there should be a common trust. And this is where, where we try to kind of gap the bridge between the company that's trying to get the cyber insurance and the insurance company that's trying to cover it. Well, the way I see that and the way I think it might be a positive um, in particular, besides just you know the availability of this kind of insurance, which obviously is becoming more and more important because the breaches are happening more and more often and they're becoming more and more impactful, um, like health insurance, in order to get like a life insurance policy, uh, unless I'm like really young, uh, which I'm not anymore, <laughs> you have to go and get you know a physical. You have, they actually they will actually kind of test you to see you know how how long they think you're going to live, basically, because that's uh, that that will determine how much your your payment's going to be for them because of what how what your risk factors are so you know maybe one positive outcome of this besides the fact that you can actually buy this insurance which might help you in these situations is that maybe it will help us standardize ways of kind of probing these companies to figure out and identify areas where they're weak that they can improve on um to, to get this kind of insurance right in other words in other words the way to underwrite this insurance just like a life insurance policy you kind of need to know what your client is and you know what the risk factors are so if i can if i'm going to give you cyber insurance i'm probably going to have some way to come in and evaluate you and your company and to see how at risk you are and maybe help you close those risks is that 
true? Yes, that's true. And uh, that's one of the business models that we defined. And uh, it's also a very unique selling point. Yeah, because if you can uh, kind of uh, now, especially the chief technical officers of the huge corporates are very defensive because they, uh, if they say, yeah, that I need a cyber insurance, means their technology, their systems have vulnerabilities. Uh, and that's not that's not good for them. But if you have a detailed breakdown report uh, generated by this kind of software, which shows them, yeah, you see, we know that you you have these vulnerabilities, but this is also the way how you fix it. So uh, take it, use it as a kind of um, Bible under your book and follow the steps to fix it. And uh, this way, first of all, you'll secure yourself. Second of all, you'll get a better premium package and uh, you have to pay less. Then you show them real benefit. Yeah. Just like signing up for uh, going to the gym will probably <laughs> might help your life insurance rates. Um, all right, great. Um, one, one more thing before we go. I know you're writing a book uh, called The Lean Approach to Cybersecurity. It sounds like a software engineering book. Yes? Uh, yeah, that's the kind of uh, set of best approaches and the techniques uh, and then the new moment in providing the cybersecurity. Because what I believe that the whiteboard planning for big corporates like five years in advance are not working anymore because uh, my... The, the son of my brother, he is 15 year old, and he can like basically even in his age now, he is like deep in computer science, hack any cybersecurity system for whiteboard plant corporate. So seeing all this, I'm kind of uh, quite scared, <laughs> and I wanna and uh, I've been working with my team. I've been working on this set of techniques, which are try, uh, trying to kind of teach the big corporations on how to approach in a more lean and agile way to the cybersecurity and to the planning, the way that startups do. Thank you very much for coming and talk to us. This is a fascinating subject. Uh, I know we'll be talking about this stuff uh, a lot more in the future because this stuff is really getting hot and heavy. And I, you know, the, obviously the computer te technology is 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 getting so powerful that we can do so much more. Uh, so we're going to be seeing a lot more of this stuff. So it's good that we understand it. Thanks for coming by. Exactly. Thanks a lot for hosting me. And like, just like as a final vote, cybersecurity and AI uh, they are inevitable. Inevitable. So most of the companies and especially government organizations have to think really heavily before implementing one thing or not implementing that <laughs> technology, because that's that's kind of a decision point, like whether you are going to succeed or not. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I always try to give my uh, audience some sort of an avenue for uh, making their voices heard and and tell them how they could be most effective. And if they believe in these things, if they've got passionate feelings about these things to try to get out there and not just, you know, tell their friends about it, but actually try to make a difference. So are there any particular, I don't know, societies or or nonprofit groups or any other groups that you know of that are out there that are other than maybe the Electronic Frontier Foundation and Epic and those kind of typical groups that people might want to look into supporting or joining or uh, if they want to get involved in this topic and kind of stay abreast and, and make sure they're kind of driving change for this in the future? Yeah, I, I would advise like most of the topics and the, uh, that people and the society scared about the developments can be solved if the people are edu educated enough. And one of the best uh, sources now to get educated is just like to participate in the meetups. They are open source. The, the participation is completely for free. And if they just join meetup.com and just like search for the meetups regarding the cybersecurity for non-techies or AI for non-techies, that's a good source for starting. So the better you are educated, educated in this age, the, the better you are protected against uh, all the dangers that are coming. Yeah? Absolutely. Wiser words were never spoken. You have to have an informed democracy. All right. Thank you very much for coming by. It was great talking to you. Thanks a lot, Gary. Have a nice day. <laughs> you too. All right, and now it's time for the tip of the week. And this uh, this week, with all the Equifax craziness going on, um, I wanted to help you monitor the, your credit on your own for free. It's not that hard. 
And uh, the way uh, one of the credit karma, as I mentioned before, is one way to go with that. Uh, I recommend signing up for a service like that and uh, checking your credit that way. Uh, you can also set up some alerts with Credit Karma. Um, you can have them alert you when someone tries to get, or hopefully you, <laughs> opens new credit in your name. And there's all sorts of various categories you can check off there that are, that are quite helpful. So look at Credit Karma. But the tip of the week uh, is to use something that's been around for decades now, and that is your free annual credit report. So I guess as part of the bargain uh, with the credit bureaus, allowing them access to all of your supremely personal information having to do with your credit cards and loans and Basically, every place you've ever lived, it's amazing the amount of information these guys have. Uh, and you will find that out when you order your free credit reports. So the, the the arrangement, I guess, with the Federal Trade Commission and the government of the United States is that if you're going to have this information, then they have to allow you, the consumer, to order a copy of your credit report for free once a year. Um, and so to do that, be careful, because if you just go to Google and search on free annual credit report, you will find all sorts of websites that are happy to set that up for you. Uh, quote unquote for free. Uh, but along the way, they're going to try to hard sell you with all sorts of other credit monitoring products. Uh, they may wrap it in some other service that is not free. Um, you know, sure. Look at those things. Maybe, maybe those things are worth something to you, but I'm going to tell you how to do it for free. So go to annualcreditreport.com and you can find this on the show notes on the website. Um, if you go to annualcreditreport.com, this is the official site sanctioned by the United States government that gives you all the information you need to contact each of the three credit bureaus. And again, that's Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. What I'd like to suggest, though, instead of getting all three of those at one time every year, uh, spread those out. Uh, do them one every four months. So let's say get yourself on a schedule, put in a, mark your calendar. Uh, to remind you, let's say every January, you're going to order your one from TransUnion. Every May, you're going to order one from Experian. Every September, you're going to order one from Equifax. Uh, and you just keep doing that. So you're getting one per year uh, for free from each uh, credit bureau, as you're allowed to do. But you're spreading those out over the course of the year, so you can kind of keep track on it through um, a little more a little more often than once a year. Um, every four months or so, you can get your credit report. Now, once you get those credit reports, review them carefully. Uh, I think you'll be shocked to find the information in there if you've never looked at your credit report. It's got everything. Everything since you've ever drawn credit, it should be in there, including all your past addresses and things. Look through that carefully, at least the first time. Find anything in there that is wrong. If you find anything that's wrong, contact the credit bureau and say, hey, this is not right. You need to fix this, um, uh, particularly if it's something that's negative uh, for some reason. Uh, if there's something in there that's that, that's negative about you, that's, a, that's impacting your credit. So take the time to go through and find those things and correct them. If you've got bad addresses, uh, things like that that are wrong, correct those. Um, uh, if, if there might be some things in there that don't belong to you, sometimes there's a mix up and things that are, are uh, credited to you that have, that are really not you because of maybe they have the same name as you do, um, something like that. So look at it carefully, especially the first time, because there's a lot of information there, go through and mark it up. If you find anything that's wrong, contact the credit bureau and tell and have them uh, correct it. There's a process for that and it should all be free. Um, and then just use that to, to, to check um, and see what's different. I might keep uh, the printout from last year. And when I get the one from this year, kind of go through side by side to see, so I can kind of quickly see what's different uh, and look for things that are wrong and find out if there's some new credit open your name that you don't know about. And I, hopefully that's not the first way you're going to find out that something has gone wrong with your credit, but it's a way to, it is a good way to keep track of what's been going on. So that's my tip of the week. Check out your free credit reports and stagger them so that you get them one every four months or so. So you can keep a really close eye on your credit. 
And that wraps up another edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Tune in again next week. We'll have some more great info for you. Hopefully no more major breaches, but if they happen, I will let you know and tell you what you can do about it. Um, I'm here to keep you informed and make sure that you know the, the basic things you need to do to stay safe out there, keep your online privacy, guard your credit, guard your computers, all that sort of stuff. So tune in every week for the news of the week and the tip of the week and hopefully some fun and interesting interviews that will educate you. If you believe in what I'm doing and you want to make sure that I can help do this for other people as well, you can really help me out in a few ways. First of all, spread the word. Tell your friends about this podcast. Tell your friends about the blog. Tell your friends about the newsletter, the book. Uh, there's so many different ways. And, you know, pick the pick the method that makes sense for you, the, the way you like to consume information. Uh, check check all of these things out. Find the ones that work for you. Recommend them to your friends and family. Uh, you can find all of all this information, of course, on the, on my website, firewallsdon'tstopdragon.com. Uh, and you can get much of this information at America Out Loud as well. Uh, the other thing you can do to help support me is go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. If you go to patreon.com slash firewalls, don't stop dragons, uh, you'll find a lot more information there about how you can help me to help you. Uh, again, that link will also be on the website. Uh, so check that out. Uh, help me to help you. Uh, you can always send me your comments and suggestions at uh, Carrie Parker at AmericaOutloud.com. Uh, and I will listen to those and try to incorporate those into the show as well. I'd uh, love to get your feedback. And uh, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Tune in next week. And until then, don't get caught with your drawbridge down.